Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome back to A Dash of Drush. This is episode two. And this week we're starting the new book. Last week we celebrated the end of the first book, the book of Bereshit, the book of Genesis. And now we're entering the book of Shemot. In Hebrew, that the name of the book of Shemot means names. But in English, we call it the book of Exodus. And it's the beginning of our enslavement and the journey towards our liberation and our redemption. Uh, I'm actually here with uh, my friend and my colleague, uh, Rabbi David Seidenberg, the creator of neochassid.org and author of a wonderful new book called Kabbalah and Ecology. And we're just going to reflect a little bit on some of the, the themes of this, of this amazing story at this particular time in history, in this very historic week. It's interesting, verse 8 of the book of Exodus says, that a new king arose, a new pharaoh arose, a new king arose in Egypt who, who didn't know Joseph. And the first thing that he expresses is great fear for the growing numbers of uh, the Israelites. And he wants to take action. He sees this people developing in a certain way, an immigrant population, and he's afraid of them. And he, he enslaves them. And then he gives the instructions to the miladot, who are these, the midwives who tend to the Israelites. And the, the instruction is that if males are born to the Israelites, they should be killed. And there's these two particular women who are named... Shifra and Pua, and they say no, no Pharaoh, no, we're not going to do that. And they they defy, they they ignore, they stand up against the edict of Pharaoh. And the Torah describes them as as being um, God fearing women, and that they that God makes batim for them, makes houses for them, which is a very mysterious verse, but. It's, it's extraordinary, though, isn't it? Extraordinary that this this week we're starting this parsha. What are your What are your thoughts, David, about entering into the book of Shemot? Well, yeah, the fact that it's the same the, the same day as inauguration that the Shabbat begins, where we read this portion, is astonishing, actually, and scary in a lot of ways. If you wanted to read it as a sign, a prophetic sign, then it would be a sign of something cursed instead of something blessed. Hopefully that's not what will be. What do you make of these um, these midwives? I mean, they're, they're pretty amazing characters, aren't they? They're the beginning of resistance. And um, what... The story tells us, what the story shows us, is that God can't carry out any liberation until people resist, until people begin to do that as well. One thing that's interesting, though, about it, um, I was thinking about the way you phrased it, they resist Pharaoh, but they don't do out-and-out civil disobedience. When Pharaoh asks them why they haven't killed the male children, they make up a reason which actually plays into Pharaoh's prejudices. They say the, the, 
the women of Israel are um, chayot, right? I think that's the right term, although I haven't looked it up. Which can mean that they are, it's sometimes translated as lively, but they're, they're, they're so uh, life-giving that they give birth before the midwives have arrived, which is what they explain. Before we can get there, they've already delivered their babies, so of course we couldn't do your instructions. But interestingly, the same word means animals. So in Pharaoh's ear, the midwives are saying, we can't get to them in time because these Hebrew wives are like animals, which is exactly what he thinks about them. Wow. You know? And so they are using his prejudices to get away with this resistance. So, so what do you think is the difference between resistance and civil disobedience? Civil disobedience is when you go and you say, I you declare to the authorities, I am intentionally breaking this law, putting you in a position where you need to arrest me uh -huh. if you want to uphold the law. So they're not doing that. I, you know, I've, I've been studying this incredible teaching from the Meha Shalach, the Ishbitzer, who, who, who defines the difference between two, two different types of yira. Yira, a word that you know can be translated as fear or as awe, and uh, the teaching says that when a person has yirat adam, like when a person has fear of a human being, especially a human being in power, who has a power relationship over you, that the experience is, is a, a kind of restlessness and an anxiety. And, 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 and that, but when you have a yirat shamayim or a yirat Hashem, a fear of heaven or a fear of God, that actually you have the language he uses is yeshuv dat, your 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 consciousness is still because you have you have this kind of higher moral voice that is that is calling you to act in this way and so he describes the miladot the midwives as having that kind of amazingly calm presence because they know that what they're doing is right they know that actually to go against pharaoh's edict is the right thing to do and therefore they feel a sense of calm about it do, do you have any any thoughts about that Idea. I like it. It's a great idea. Uh -huh. um, they do seem to be fearless in the face of Pharaoh. And it's a beautiful thing, the way they, the way they carry out what they want to do. So, yeah, it, it sounds like a beautiful comment. I haven't studied uh, the text yet. I want to now that you've mentioned it. Okay. Well, we'll study it together. Um, I mean, the image that it ends with is actually picking up a, uh, some language from, from last week's Pasha, the, the blessing that uh, Yaakov gives to Zevulun, and the blessing is about a ship uh, uh, sort of in a harbor on a sea. And uh, the language is that the sea represents kind of yira, that the, the sort of the fear that we might feel in the face of a mighty sea, and being on a ship represents uh, Yeshuvdat, represents like a, a, st a stillness um, and that the idea that in a world that feels kind of stormy and tempestuous that we that we somehow whatever the metaphor for that ship might be we see ourselves on, on, on a ship and perhaps that, that ship is our own uh, conviction our own sense of doing what's right in the world I'm just thinking about this idea whether um, being afraid of heaven, to put it in less elevated terms, afraid of sin, 
for example. Uh-huh. There's, there's different levels of Yirat Shemayim. So I think the way I would hear what, what um, the Meshiloch is saying is that the, the midwives are at a very high level of Yirat Shemayim, where you have this sense of uh, moral certainty and calmness. But for a lot of people, having Yirat Shemayim means they're afraid they're going to do something wrong. Mm-hmm. And it, it also is a matter of anxiety. And I, the way I would read the Meshiloch is to say that that's actually not the great relationship to have with God. So even though that's a way to feel your Shemayim, that's not what God wants from us. Mm-hmm. It might, in fact, be exactly what a person wants from us when they have power over us, right? That is, a pharaoh, a tyrant, a dictator, right? What they want is that they can bully you and that you will be afraid of them, and that you'll be too anxious about what they're going to do to you to do what you think is right, or to be true to yourself, you know? Uh, but God doesn't want us to not be true to ourselves. God wants us to be more true to ourselves. That's beautiful because, of course, the Israelites become avadim leparo. They become slaves to Pharaoh. And then as soon as they're actually redeemed, they become avdei Hashem. They become like servants of God. And it's the same language. But, of course, the shift is that uh, that ideal relationship is not one of fear in a sense of trembling and or fear in a sense of doing something wrong, but you're saying it's like a, a sense of being connected to a divine purpose. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, no, like Reb Zalman would talk about, you know, us each being deployed, like just, just a sense of no, inner knowing what, what it is we're deployed to do in this world. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting to me, Mark, is <clears throat> the certainty that the midwives feel the certainty that the midwives feel compar- in comparison with the, the certainty that Pharaoh feels about his course of action. Because they have Yerat Shamayim, they have this fear of heaven. They have this Yishuv Hada'at. I, love, I do love this comment that you found in Meashilach. This settled mind is another way to translate it. They have a settled mind about what's right and what they need to do. <clears throat> it's a kind of a, it's a quiet wisdom. And it contrasts so strongly with this very macho, pharaoh... Narcissistic. Who is also narcissistic, who says, well, he, when he wants to figure out what to do, first of all, he's starting from great anxiety about what the Hebrew people are and who they are and what they're going to do. This fear of foreigners. But then he tries to overcome his fear by showing how certain he is and how resolute and how he can make a big decision. In them. And the way he puts it is he says, Hala nit chachma. Come literally translated as, uh, usually translated as, come let us deal wisely with them, but it, it really can be translated as, come let us make ourselves look wise. Let us pretend or show how wise we are to the world by doing this great act. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's not building a wall to keep them out, he's building a slavery to keep them in. But either way, he's taking this grand action against these people that he's scared of, mm-hmm. and he's doing it as if to show that he's not scared but in power. But in fact, it's the opposite. He has no yeshuva da'at, even though he acts with this great sense of, uh, of resoluteness. Well, of course, in, the, I mean, in ancient Egypt, Pharaoh was basically God. I mean, the, 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 so much of the, you know, the, the notion that he wouldn't uh, you know, wash, no one would see, he would go to the Nile, and, and you know, just this sense of, being a, a divine other almost 
and that's the sort of the the the, the trap of that kind of power. It is power. a trap. It is a trap. But but look, the Pharaoh before him, the one who did know Joseph, didn't act that way. Right. Right. When when Joseph came and was this clever and wise person who interpreted the dreams. Um, Pharaoh immediately says, uh, "You know, you're wiser than all of us. We, I want to hire you, right? right? He doesn't have any. He doesn't have any anxiety like him. Is this right. boy smarter than me? He doesn't need to be smart. Well, he, he, sa he says we we need someone who is there. Someone who has like Ruach Elohim, right? Doesn't he mm -hmm. say he's yeah. someone who yeah. has anyone the spirit who... of God in him? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so yeah. there isn't a recognition of some kind of a of a power beyond the self, which this Pharaoh doesn't seem to have." Right, yeah, and it's it's so um, it's so poignantly and and depressingly <laughs> parallel to some of the the sense of, of what is this kind of personality of this new administration going to be, and how much of of its actions is going to be based on uh, anxiety and insecurity as opposed to clarity and you know a sense of listening to wise judgment of other people. You know, so if, if you don't have if you don't know, if you don't have that wisdom inside yourself, mm -hmm. you at least need to have the wisdom to know to listen to other people that right. have it. Uh, to not have that wisdom inside yourself, and then also to have no capacity to realize that you need to listen to other people, and to mm -hmm. hear their wisdom, that's the 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 worst of the worst. Because uh -huh. then you have the arrogance on top of the insecurity, on top of the ignorance. That's what that pharaoh represents, the, the, the new pharaoh, right. the new king. Right. But let's, let's bring it back to, to these women, because it feels significant that these, the first characters that are actually named, really, in this book um, are, are these, two, these two women who, I like what you said, the difference between resistance and civil disobedience. It was an act of resistance. And... You know, I mean, there's something. I mean, here we are, two male rabbis, but we're, we're talking about this this power. But there's something I think really significant for us for about the the particular voices of protest that come from from women right now. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, these kinds of stereotypes can be essentialized or overused, but there's a there's an idea that there's a kind of a woman's way of knowing which is interior and has a uh, this kind of yeshuv hadad, this kind of quiet certainty, this intuitive dimension um, that is someone who's coming from that highest place and is receiving that kind of what we call feminine wisdom mm -hmm. would be acting the way the midwives act, mm -hmm. you know, this this quiet certainty and and. Um, and resolution to, to do what's right mm -hmm. and without fear. Right. You know? Most of the women I know are going to be going to be marching in some form or other this week. And so I feel whether that's, a, whether that's an actual physical march or whether it's a, a silent inner knowing that we, we should all be em empowered and um, graced by... by by these women and all women who stand up for what's right in the world and be uh, emboldened and inspired by their by their messages. That would be a lovely thing. Um, it occurs to me that sometimes one has to act as if one has that certainty when one simply doesn't. Uh -huh. And that uh, 
the power that can come from that can also lead to one's downfall if one isn't aware of one's own flaws, of one's own limitations. But if you go into that and say, I'm doing what I believe is right with all my heart, but I'm still listening to what's going on, I'm listening to other people, um, that's often the highest the average person can get, the highest I could get, maybe <clears throat> not the prophetic certainty that the midwives have, but a different kind of certainty, which is also holy. And that's, that's the end of the book, you know, and the beginning of the new book, Vanit Chazik. We're going to make each other strong. Right. We need to strengthen each other, to listen right. to each other, in order to reach the highest wisdom that none of us can reach individually. Beautiful. Strengthen each other as we, you know, go into this this narrative of uh, of oppression and uh, and, and uh, bondage, slavery, and then ultimately the the narrative of, of, of redemption. Of you know, pretty soon in this book we're going to be not to do any spoilers, folks, but pretty soon we're going to be you know singing our way through the the sea and and, and opening into that that promise of a, of, of a freedom. And so, and again, <laughs> women have so much. Part of that narrative, I mean, Mo- Moses' sister Miriam is is a hugely important voice and presence with her with her embodied uh, dancing and playing of musical instruments and singing. So, um, yeah, we we strengthen each other through through song and through through dance and through uh, through letting go of that the fear of of what might be and just just responding to a higher kind of fear I, I, I think I want to finish actually with reading this uh, piece I stumbled across a beautiful piece by John O'Donoghue in, uh, in a book called Bless the Space Between Us um, he, he calls it a morning offering so regardless of what time of day you might be hearing this now this is a morning offering I bless the night that nourished my heart to set the ghosts of longing free into the flow and figure of dream that went to harvest from the dark bread for the hunger no one sees. All that is eternal in me welcomes the wonder of this day, the field of brightness it creates, offering time for each thing to arise and illuminate. I place on the altar of dawn the quiet loyalty of breath, the tent of thought where I shelter, waves of desire I am sure to, and all beauty drawn to the eye. May my mind come alive today to the invisible geography that invites me to new frontiers, to break the dead shell of yesterdays, to risk being disturbed and changed. May I have the courage today to live the life that I would love, to postpone my dream no longer, but do at last what I came here for, and waste my heart on fear no more. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you soon. You've been listening to A Dash of Drush. Shkoyach. <laughs>